You finally decided to learn how to ice skate, so you ordered the essentials every aspiring ice skater needs. A nice pair of blades, a shiny new helmet, and a good set of knee pads. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping, which you put those rewards towards an essential piece of post-skating recovery, a heating pad. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding to apply now. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. Hey guys, it's Sharp. I'm here with Ben. What up, what up? We just spent two to two and a half hours talking about the top 100. Look, it was definitely more than two hours. Our plan was to do two podcasts today, but ultimately what we're going to do is split the top 100 podcast into two different segments. We're going to do the top 60 or 70 on Friday Next week, we will run with the top 30 and uh, attendant arguments. Um, but uh, for now, it's just going to be the top, the top 70 or so. Yeah, and there's a couple of things. First of all, this works out great. I'm going on vacation next week, so we needed content anyways. The fact that we rambled for two and a half hours about this list, which, you know, is ultimately subjective and, you know, completely meaningless. Yeah. Uh, it worked out well to kind of carry us for two weeks. So just hold your horses for the top 30. Andrew, I would say this too. We were more contentious in the first hour. We were a little bit friendlier in the second hour. So if people, like before you email in, just remember, we are going to come back together in the second hour. There will be a more loving payoff (laughs) uh, if you can sit through, you know. So for the people who want arguments, that's going to be this week's episode. For the people who are looking more for common ground, exchange of ideas, (laughs) that will be next week's episode. Yes. So with that, we'll jump into it with Rob Mahoney and uh, check back next week. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp. On the other line, we have Rob Mahoney and in person in the New York City studios at Sports Illustrated, Ben Golliver. How you guys doing? Not too much, Andrew. You asked the wrong question, so you screwed up my intro. Well, it's I... introducing three people. It threw me off. I'm oh, sorry. I know. You're, you're multitasking. It's really <laughs> difficult. Don't worry. I'm actually going to throw you for a loop here right off the top because all year long, I've got to listen to you read the questions from the emailers, and I don't ever get to read them. So I'm going to start this podcast, which is, of course, our annual Top 100 uh, you know, deathmatch podcast with an email from one of our readers named Evan. And I think it's going to help <laughs> set the tone for the discourse here today. Okay. Evan writes, I have a request for this upcoming discussion of the top 100 NBA players. My favorite podcast of all time is the legendary argument on Chris Middleton versus DeMar DeRozan. The argument was contentious, personal, and overall unbelievably entertaining. I know Ben went through a tough reevaluation of how he <laughs> treats Sharp, but I humbly request that you guys bring back that type of discussion. I want a Democrat versus Republican at Thanksgiving levels of argument. I obviously want you guys to remain friends and bleep, uh, but I just want a no-gloved conversation on the top 100. Love the content. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Now, Andrew, I raised this uh, email for two reasons. One, obviously, I'm over here doing a victory lap. I mean, Chris Middleton clearly better than DeMar DeRosa last year. There was no question whatsoever, and I know it wasn't just you. It was all of Canada who had that one wrong. You know, it's totally fine. (laughs) It's a new year. We're going to move forward. But it does feel to do that little good victory dance. But I also raise it for this reason. Evan wants blood. 
are we going to give him the blood? Now, I've just so to paint the picture here in the studios, I've taken my uh, my top button. It's undone. I've rolled my sleeves up. I believe you've had at least, you know, four beverages of coffee and you've been talking mess for the last hour straight. Uh-huh. Are we giving the people blood on this episode or are we not giving the people blood? Uh, we'll see. OK, I want to be diplomatic to an extent because Rob is here. I don't I don't feel comfortable screaming at you in front of a guest um, who I don't know quite as well. Uh, I would say, first of all, that's a good memory. I forgot that one episode where like an emailer had had accused you of being too hard on me and you gave like a heartfelt apology and a pledge I still feel to do terrible. Better. The worst thing anyone could say to me is that I'm a bully. I don't want to bully you, but then I, people were saying this week actually they want to listen to a podcast of me just bullying various things uh-huh. because of how I treat you, which again caused a moment of reflection. But Evan's email brought me back and Rob and I have actually gotten into pretty good shape here. Because we faced the Reddit hordes today. Well, that's what I was going to say is your ego right now is just out of control. Okay. You're riding high Come after on. a 90 minute Reddit session with people building you up and laughing at all your stupid jokes. And then <laughs> LeBron James just commented on some SI top 100 thing on Instagram. And uh, I don't know. It's time to take both of you down a peg. Oh, I, I have to be honest here. Rob, how are you feeling after a week of interviews? We should get you involved here. Where's your head at right now? I'm in a good place. I mean, I think Ben and I have fully mind melded at this point, so the United Front should not be a problem. Uh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in support of reading this email up front, though, because I think it sets you up to be the villain here, and then we can high-road <laughs> you later on in the episode. So I'm looking forward to taking that step in stance. And yes. uh, ready whenever you guys are. It's a special friendship. This is USA versus and UK versus the world here. Okay, we've got a very intertwined relationship. You know, I'll, I'll break out some World War II comparisons for you here. Let's, let's stay away from the Allies talk, please. Okay. Oh God, yeah, not again. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, a quick story for you then to start things off. On the train up here, I had planned to bring a copy of Boomtown, the Sam Anderson book that we talked about on the pod last week, and I left it in my car. So, perfect. For the 4-hour train ride to New York, all I had to entertain myself <laughs> was the digital copy of the top 100 list um and Twitter and all the other bullshit, but I spent a lot of time <laughs> reading through the top 100 and So, this is the first time ever for you. What did you think now that you've actually tried reading it? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I had commended you guys on having the most reasonable edition of the top 100 yet. However, after that train ride, I had a number of bones to pick along the way. So we can go through them one by one. And no more prelude. Punch us with your biggest punch. Well, oh, no, no, no. First of all, I do want to have uh, one question. How much of this list do you have memorized at this point? Come on, Andrew. You think that we have 100 numbers and names in order, 1 to 100, put, put, kept in our mental database like what are you going to do go 62 and you want us to say it on the spot that's not good radio bro just tear down the list we've had a all 15 right, minute right. build up here what, fine what are you, fine what fine. are you talking about lonzo ball at 100 okay okay you guys rob will you admit that you make an effort to choose particularly click worthy names for the hundredth spot on this list i have a feeling both of you are going to lie through your teeth here but what do you got for me I will do no such thing 
I mean, who's who's clicking on this list to see who's at number one hundred? I don't think anybody is coming here for that. Purpose, last year, last year you guys had D'Angelo Russell. The year before it was Devin Booker, and now it's Lonzo Ball. And that's really the only plausible explanation for having him here above guys like Malcolm Brogdon, who still doesn't make the list. It's the second year in a row, you guys have snubbed him. Marcus Smart. Rajon Rado, there are like 25 players who are going yeah. to be more effective than Lonzo Ball. Lonzo Ball hasn't had two healthy months in the NBA. He's yeah, but still, he can't shoot. He's a plus defender. He's a plus rebounder. He's a plus passer. And those are all elements of basketball, which you shortchange. Okay. I mean, you do. Rob, do you agree with that? Was, was there any debate about having him in here? Oh, there, I mean, there was definitely debate. I mean, honestly, it came down to with Lonzo and then these guys are maybe the bottom five to ten of the ranking and then maybe five to ten guys who are outside the ranking. It was it was tough in part because we're not huge fans of some of the snubs in terms of their games, in terms of their injury history. Like, there have been guys like Danilo Gallinari who in seasons past have been easy inclusions because they're very good. But if you're going to play 10 games in a season and have a track record of playing 50 games over you know a couple of years straight, that's really not a great precedent. Or you know you can make an argument for Rajon Rondo if you want or Marcus Smart if you want or Isaiah Thomas if you want. But it's like every player you'd be arguing for is going to be deeply flawed. And so with Lonzo, we're betting on the deeply flawed guy who's very young, who has a great feel for the game, who already does a couple things at a pretty high level for his position and is really in a position to get better. I think he's going to be one of those subtle, you know, kind of weirdo players who could fit into a lot of different teams as he goes. It's just, you know, we got to see how fast he can go along that track. Here's the thing. We had 90 guys we somewhat like this year. Yeah. And usually we have like 110 who we like. And so it's like this whittling process. And I think what you're trying to point out is sometimes it's young up and coming guys who are in that final spot. And usually, you know, those guys might get a little bit of a benefit from us just because we don't want to snub that guy in the event that he does have that big breakthrough season, right? So a guy like Russell is a perfect example. He had not really done much up until the the point that we put him at 100, but it's like if we snub him and he has a great season in Brooklyn, then it's like, okay, we want to have him on there. This year, like Rob's saying, we felt like there was like 90 guys. So the last spots, you know, to a certain degree, we're almost handing out like party favors. It was like, hey, Dirk, Powell, like, you know, great careers. You know, here's like, you know, kind of a a charity uh, inclusion or some of the defensive guys who maybe, uh, you know, they don't usually get love. You know, we tried to include some of those guys in the 90s this year. But uh, I think what you're you're what you're trying to hit out with Lonzo at 100 is an end around to what you're really upset about, which is we had Dwight Howard at 69, and you were upset that we no, thought no, about no, that. No, no, we're gonna get to Dwight, okay? <laughs> One issue at a time. But Lonzo, for real, LeBron, if he could trade Lonzo for Brogdon in December, nope. he'll probably want to do that. I don't think so. Here's my defense of Lonzo. And the only reason Lonzo. he wouldn't is because Lonzo has value and he wants to trade him for someone, for a real star who can help. I, like, Lonzo, he really, he, like, he can't shoot. He can't finish at the rim. He can't stay healthy. And this is why the top no. 100 drives me crazy is I actually like him. Yeah. But I think having him in the top 100, you're giving him an awful lot of benefit of the doubt well, here. Well, slow down here. The guys who you wanted in there, Brogdon, Marcus Smart, they're both missing 25 games last season too, all right? So that, that kind of washes. not injury prone. He I missed mean, half he the season. He missed more hurt. He missed more games than Lonzo. If this is your main peg of your argument, you got to pick a guy who was there for 75 games. Lonzo was injured at like three or four different in- intervals throughout the year. 
But anyways, I this no, is a, that's a, no. So here's why he's on the list. You okay. want to know why he's on the list, or you want to just yell about? Because it? he's a clickbait name. You that, know, you gotta hook him in. I get how the th- game that is. That is played. absolutely ludicrous. Okay. First of all, he was in a role last year where it wasn't the perfect fit for him. He's not a pick and roll point guard. He's not a guy you want to have come down there and shoot a lot of three pointers in volume. And they were just sort of feeling out what can he do in the NBA. So he was allowed to kind of learn on the job and struggle. I think um, a better fit is going to be what we see in year two for him, which is secondary uh, playmaker. LeBron's mm-hmm. obviously going to have the ball a lot. He's going to be cutting a ton. He's super smart. You're definitely underrating Lonzo's basketball IQ. It's not just his vision. He's a really smart player, understands spacing well. He's a big-time plus defender, and I think a lot of the stat nerd guys have figured that out. Yeah. I'm waiting for you to figure that out in the next six to nine <laughs> months when you're on board. And there's no question he can't shoot, but I think he's going to have much better uh, three-point shooting opportunities this year, more catch and shoot, less off the dribble, and he's not going to have the same leash that he had last okay. year. And so I think for all those reasons – uh, he looked worse than he actually is last season, and there's a chance he could actually look better than he would in a vacuum this season because he has the benefit of playing with LeBron and he won't have as much pressure. I hope that you are right about this, both of you guys, uh, and it could be mostly because the version of this Lakers season where Lonzo is a winning player and playing 25 to 30 minutes a game and is great for them is a lot more fun than Lonzo being kind of marginalized while yeah. LeBron plays Rajon Rondo in every Lakers fourth quarter. But uh, I just think it's a, it's a big leap, and there are okay. other guys who really deserve some love. Here's my checkmate move for you on this whole idea of clickbait. It's not just you said this. Other people have said it too. <laughs> What's a better headline? Lonzo 100, top 100, or Lonzo snubbed from the top 100, right? Like if you're trying to make the headline – Lonzo no, Mello no, way No one would have no one would have given a shit about Lonzo being snubbed because that's not surprising. He should be snubbed. No, like he, he shouldn't. He's closer to Markel Fultz than Jason Tatum. Well, Markel Fultz, we did discuss quite a bit about getting him on the list, and he was a snub because he didn't play at all last year. I mean, he didn't even hit a single three-pointer. You say Lonzo can't shoot. At least he made one. Okay. Well, we're not going to spend this entire time arguing about Lonzo Ball. Another name at 100 that would have worked well is Carmelo Anthony. And James here asks, I'm not here to hammer any top 100 picks. However, I feel like Ben and Rob making the case for Dirk over Carmelo would be fun. Do those guys genuinely believe this, or are they just trying to piss people off? And I'm also we're not gonna, trying to piss anyone I know, off. I know you're not. I know you're not. Okay, take take it down a notch. Uh, I also want to hear the case for Powell over Melo. So Rob, hit me. Okay. Case for Dirk first, a significant net positive next season when he was on the floor, in part because the Mavs were able to find lineups that worked with him out there, those kind of super weird bench lineups with Dwight Powell and J.J. Barea and whatnot. And Dirk could really be a functioning part of lineups that fared really, really well. Carmelo, I think the best thing you could say about him is that he tried to buy into a role that everyone has been wanting him to play for a long time, and he responded by being one of the least efficient high usage scores in the NBA last season, even by spotting up something we would expect him to do really, really well. He just completely failed in every capacity of his job. He's a really poor defender. He's an underwhelming rebounder for the four. And now if he's not scoring well, I don't know what the argument is to really put him in there. Other than the fact that, you know, the Thunder had some effective lineups, but again, ones that if you put in Jeremy Grant or another option at that spot, probably would be just as effective, if not more so. And so with Melo, I think you're looking at, all of the problems you have with a guy like Dirk or with a guy like Powell in that he's not going to be a good defensive player for you. 
but he's not bringing, you know, the higher efficiency. He's not bringing the malleability in terms of being a real team first guy in every respect. This is, you know, the guy who laughs at the prospect of coming off the bench versus a guy like Dirk or a guy like Powell who are going to be more team guys in terms of the role and what you want them to do on a team. I think they're more accepting of where they are right. in their station, just given their age. And so with Melo, you have to kind of, you have to think about him and consider him if you're an organization as if he's a more important player than he is. And that gets into, you know, some of the most problematic players in the league kind of fall into that bucket where if a guy is only giving you role player type production, but you have to consider his feelings and consider his reactions and consider, you know, in the Rockets case, how Chris Paul is going to respond if you piss off Carmelo Anthony. There's just a lot more concern there with him than there is value. Whereas, you know, Dirk is giving you some good minutes. If you're the Mavs, if you're a variety of other teams, he's going to be a culture setter for you. Pau, for all of his faults, was a part of one of the most effective defenses in the NBA last season. He's going to be a good rebounder. He's a high post passer. He's a pretty functional spot-up shooter from mid-range. He's had his moments from three. I just think those guys, they open up your, your toolbox a little more than Melo does, where Melo is a guy who, if he's in a high-usage role, you're not going anywhere. And if he's in a low-usage role, teams like the Jazz are just going to play him off the court. Yeah, okay, so well, I hear so that. It, it comes down to ego, and also let's put it into terms that you love, gravity. Dirk's got gravity. Dirk's had gravity since before Steph was even in the NBA. You right. love just slurping Steph for his gravity, okay? Dirk is one of the inventors of gravity. He still has it. You have to respect Dirk's shot. He's so unbelievably efficient when he picks and pops or when he gets the ball on the wing that you have to rush him. And that space that he creates, if he had an average level of teammates, and he hasn't had that for years in Dallas, um, his value would show through more than it does. You know what? I agree with you on the Dirk versus Mel thing, particularly because he is a culture setter and you don't really have to cater to his ego. And I like the idea of you guys going out there and applying an ego penalty to Mello um, and leaning into that hot take. However, It's not hot to okay. say Mello is not a top 100 no, no, player. No. He was not even close to being a top 100 player in the NBA can last I, year. Okay, can I finish, please? Yes. Okay, so I'm not like a Mello stan for the current version of Mello. I'm not here to, to really defend him. However, you, like you ask what the argument is for having him in here. The argument would be that last year was just about the worst version of the mellow timeline that we could have imagined. What about the three previous seasons? How are those? He was fine. He was on a shitty Knicks team playing yeah. a bunch of games that didn't really matter. And you can assign blame for that. But I, I just think it's unrealistic to think that he's going to be that bad in Houston or he would be that bad in a number of different situations that aren't like playing off ball and getting heaves from Russell Westbrook with six seconds left on the shot clock. The only way he's going to be successful in Houston is if they they drop him from their finishing five, they don't start him, they put him into a much smaller role, and he's don't a catch-and-shoot three-pointer. It is, but that's not if you're only going to play 20-something minutes a night for a really good team, you're probably not going to make this list. A guy like P.J. Tucker is going to add more value to the Rockets than Melo does because right. of doing all the little things. we got P.J. Tucker in the 90s. If they do shrink Melo's role that considerably – then we're not even going to be here talking about him next year. It's just time to cut the cord with Melo, man. I know you like him, but it's not 2012. Look, if you're projecting value for the season, Melo is going to be more valuable than Pau Gasol. And it's not, I'm not, this is not a hill I give a shit about dying on, but you're just wrong on that. 
So nope. moving on. I mean, did um, the Spurs make the playoffs last year? And how 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 well did Paul Pau do in terms of guys, playing a central role in the Spurs you success? You guys are all about evaluating players in a vacuum. Yeah. And I don't think Pau Gasol would really be playable outside of San Antonio and Melo's playable. at this point in, in his career. Melo yeah, he is. How? Absolutely. Did you watch the playoffs? The, he got picked. He got picked apart by a you know a guy who's basically twelve years old in Donovan Mitchell. Okay, there's a lot more upside with Carmelo and all the same weaknesses. There's that no has. upside left with Melo, man. Moving along, no Rajon Rondo and no Marcus Smart. Rob, can you tell me what the thinking was in keeping those guys off the list and how hard it was in both cases? I think Smart gets a little bit of a penalty by the the same kind of like Celtics bubble that we talk we when we consider how good Brad Stevens is, how good their system is, how functional their lineup is, and it's like if you're gonna say all those things, then on some level you have to say that the players in those situations might be performing a little over their heads, and I think Smart is the chief example of that, where he's a guy who even in the best of cases is shooting a horrible percentage from the floor. He's not a scorer in the least, but he's gonna take a lot of threes. And so you have, you know, you put him on a generic team, a team with average talent, a team that doesn't have Al Horford to ease his playmaking responsibilities, that doesn't have a lot of shooting around him and a lot of flexibility, or maybe they don't want him to freelance quite as much as Boston does. And I think his value shrinks pretty considerably. And so Marcus Smart to the Celtics is absolutely a top 100 player. Marcus Smart to generic team X, I don't think is necessarily one. And I think, again, he also missed a lot of time. He missed a lot of time, too. Yeah. Also, yeah, also significantly injured last season. So if you want to make the argument that he deserves it over Lonzo or anybody in the bottom 10, obviously we're sympathetic to the fact that those spots are going to be pretty flexible depending on taste. But for us in particular, we just, we didn't really see it in terms of his on-court impact overall for more of a vacuum setting. Okay. Like he's got an ideal coach, right? And he's shooting like basically less than 30%. In in the playoffs, it's like okay, what what are we doing? He's good in a lot of other ways, and he missed time, but because he punched a window in a, or a picture in a hotel, so I wouldn't call him like yeah. an injury risk. Uh, oh yeah, I'm sure that people who have frustration issues are, will never have frustration <laughs> issues. They'll learn their lesson after one broken window. You know, I mean, come it's on. all part of the Marcus Smart no, adventure. like in the playoffs, he he shot 33.6 percent from the field, 22 percent from three, and he's jacking lots of threes. Right, so that there. Are, is absolutely he does a lot on the court, but he's also pulling even more than Lonzo's pulling away. Like if you want to dock Lonzo shooting, you have to dock Smart shooting even harder. Okay, I, my argument for both of those guys would be that like there are definitely proven scenarios where Rondo and Marcus Smart have top 100 or even top 80 value, and you've got some other guys on this list like Kent Bazemore sucks no matter what team he's going to be on. And that's just Evan not Fournier, true. Come on, man, that's not true. He doesn't suck. He's good. He's a positive player on both sides of the basketball. You think he sucks because he's overpaid. He got too big of a contract. We don't take into account contracts, right? So if you have a solid three and D wing, a guy like Bazemore, a guy like Carroll, he has a lot of value. And if he, if here's a great example, if Bazemore played for your favorite team, the Boston Celtics, you would have a Bazemore jersey. You'd be so excited. Look how perfect he is as he a number five guy. He shoots 30% too. It does half the things that Marcus Smart no, he does. He doesn't, man. Come on. You're just throwing random numbers out that aren't true. You're making me look them up so I can tell you what he's actually please do look look up what he shot he shot 39.4 percent on three pointers and and just for the people at home (laughs) andrew's eyes just turned into saucers and then rolled back in his head uh but look 
we have a clear perspective that's a little bit different than yours, right? We like the complete two-way guys, especially towards the bottom of the list. You're probably more likely to like the big personality guys. But Rondo in particular, overall last year, he became a little overrated. Like he had been so bad that his fans were so excited to like come out of the woodwork and beat their chest and be so excited. I mean, this guy is a minimum contract player basically for multiple years. He has a solid couple month run because he's feeding a human vacuum cleaner dunk in Anthony Davis, where, you know, Anthony Davis can make a lot of players look really, really good. I think when it all shakes out, if you're asking me who's more important to next year's Lakers, Lonzo or Rondo, the answer is going to be Lonzo. Okay. Um, fair enough. I don't care enough about this to belabor the debate. Uh, we're really <laughs> making people – people have got to want it. All right, We're going to get to the relevant Look, players in a second. Don't even do this because people do want it. Okay. okay? So let's get through to some of these guys where like – I know. have a bigger picture question okay. for you guys from Ned who says – which players were excruciatingly painful to include in your top 100? Reggie Jackson must have hurt you guys. <laughs> Dwight must have made you cry. However, the biggest challenge for both of you must have been Andrew Wiggins, who is currently 387 spots too high. Rob, I'll let you go first. Reggie Jackson was maybe a full-on existential crisis for us, to be honest. <laughs> I did um, have to push you pretty hard into Reggie. There were, there were also versions of this list in which Andrew Wiggins was like 20 spots lower than he currently is. Um, okay. There was a lot of flexibility with those guys for sure. Dwight is one of those guys who every year we come down to, as we're kind of fine-tuning, you know, you're getting into 69 versus 70, and it's like, which of these guys would you rather have? And Dwight ends up dropping like 15 spots because of that, uh, just because you go start going spot for spot and you just trust these guys. You don't want to deal with the constant headaches of having Dwight Howard on your team on a daily basis. It's like, would you, you rather have room. would you rather have Demarcus Cousins in a wheelchair or Dwight Howard? It's like, oh <laughs> uh, well, can we get somebody like athletic to push Cousins around the floor? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> no. So I mean, those guys in particular, I think, are, are hit the nail on the head because a, a lot of the other ones, honestly, kind of got weeded out in the process. You know, Hassan Whiteside was on some versions of the list. And we deferred to Eric Spolstra, basically defensively saying with his rotation that Whiteside is not a good basketball player. Um, and so there are a lot of cases like that where guys who maybe were a little more excruciating in years past or were kind of reluctant about in years past ended up more on the snub list this year. Yeah, Whiteside was the first name that came to mind for me. He was so excruciating to put on the list that we couldn't keep I him really on the list. I really liked it. Yeah. I, li- I liked that you just owned it and yeah. kept him off entirely. So, so that was one. Um the Wiggins one's interesting. We have actually caught a lot of flack from people on Wiggins. In both directions. Well, well no, because last year the flack was, you guys are too low. He's like breakout mm-hmm. candidate, number one pick. And sort of, you know, all the arguments you like to make about Devin Booker, people were making, you know, in favor of Andrew Wiggins, right? Right. This year, it was like, what do you mean he's a top 100 player? And if you read the blurb, I mean, I basically said he's got the emptiest stats in the league. I called him a tin man because he has no heart. Like, you could see that I was writing it up through gritted teeth. Yeah. But I also think we, in his defense, and we try to do this, we try to make the case for guys and the case against guys. The case for him is he's playing the most minutes of anyone in the league for four straight years, so that's bound to be difficult Shout out to tips. keep that up. Hasn't missed a game. Very durable. His best skill is scoring, but now he's on a team where he can be no more than the third option, so that's not really a great fit. 
Um, you know, he would probably look better in a vacuum on teams that didn't have as many creators because uh, he would have more touches. He would score more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much the best case you can well, make for him. Yeah. You talk about existential crisis. Like that's Jimmy Butler showing up and suddenly taking 75% of Andrew Wiggins' yeah. responsibilities. It's like when your stepdad's a military guy, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, it's your new stepdad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's got it's you like, up at 4 a.m. running lines. It's tough. It's tough because Wiggins doesn't do a lot of the little things that you would want a third star to be able to do so he is in a tough spot and that was my take because we got a lot of pushback in the emails from people who were just kind of appalled by Wiggins's spot on this list and I think at this point he might be a little bit underrated uh, among like the NBA internet set um, because he I mean he's not what you would want from a number one pick but he's also like close to Harrison Barnes zone and I think he he might even be a little low on this list Um, but I have another question because another thing that we've heard a lot about in the emails and on Twitter is Dwight at 69 okay was that a conscious choice that you guys made in in a marketing effort or what Look, uh, you know how hotels have the ability to skip floors? Like they don't have a 13th floor. They go from 12 to 14 (laughs) because it's unlucky. We don't have the ability to just skip 69, Andrew. You can't just have a top 100 with 99 numbers. That means someone every year has to be number 69. Now, did the basketball gods intervene on this one? It's possible. It It, it could be fate. You know, we we don't know there. But um, I think, you know, I've made a lot of fun of your Wizards I made a lot of, you know, very hard-headed commentary about the decision to bring Dwight in. Uh-huh. But there's a case to be made for Dwight, right? Sure. Double-double guy, been consistent for years. Like, he should function fairly well with John Wall. He's going to be the best point guard he's played with or best lead guard he's played with probably, what, since Harden. Um, and it may actually be a better fit personality-wise with him, with Wall, uh, than with Harden. Um, defensive rating last year in Charlotte, you know, they were meaningfully better with him on the court. So... You don't trust him in the playoffs. You don't consider him an elite center because he's going to be able to be played off the floor in lots of situations. But is he like a you know a better than replacement level starting center in the NBA right now? Yes, he is. And so I think this is pretty much the range where he would be. Yeah, we're going to get to Dwight in a second. I'm curious, though, because I was thinking about it, because I had to go through and write responses to the top 100 that will run Friday. Do either of you guys think the nice joke on Twitter with 69 is actually funny? Of course not. I mean, I don't think it's funny at all. I don't even know why you brought this up. <laughs> I, I honestly don't. But people are really into it. They were hitting yeah. the Dwight jokes hard. And I... No, it's, from, it's crying Jordan status it, at this point. It really is. Um, but the internet is not tired of it yet. And the well, Dwight side of this, every couple days, I see, see like a, a, a news brief about Dwight on the Wizards and remember that all of this shit is really happening. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, I go through the process all over again, like the grieving process, the mental preparation, the gymnastics. I'm so excited for this year. Can I also say this, though? Like, in our defense, we are more socially clueless than you would think. Like, if you were trying to make, like, the most memeable or, like, no, the I most hot takey <laughs> list, it would be a lot hot takeier than ours. And... A couple of years ago, Rob and I were doing that annual post about the number of reasons to get excited for the NBA's you know, 69th season. Yeah. And we filed it just 69 reasons to be excited for the 69th season. And our editors had to be like, bro, like, the, <laughs> like, come up with a 70th reason. We can't use this as the headline. So we have a track record here of not, you know, like a proven track record 
of not really understanding, you know, the nice well, uh, so side of the internet. That's what I love about both of you guys is I had not a doubt in my mind that you were not doing the Dwight thing on purpose and that this was purely a product of a process that you both take way too seriously and he just ended up at 69 because it was destiny. And on the heels of that compliment, it's time to transition to my biggest problem with this whole goddamn list. Brandon Ingram at 75. How did I I know it? No, I told you two weeks ago on this podcast that Ingram was going to be 20 spots too low. I was correct. And Ben, you are like just completely irrational uh, on this topic. So I'm going to kick it to Rob here. Wait, hold on one second though. 12 months ago, you said you were screaming at us about Booker. Will you say that we were right about Booker? I mean, he missed a ton of time last season. He was not a top 30 if player like you thought he was. Injuries. I don't know. You had Booker there it purely based on his his production. And I yeah. think. It... But, he, but he, they, they had the number 30 offense. So he didn't translate as a lead scorer. They weren't much better with him on or off the court offensively. He was a terrible defensive player and he missed time due to injuries. So you have a real soft spot for these young up and coming guys who you decide to like you know, latch onto, but you also have to come back 12 months later and say, guess what? The guy who you think Brandon Ingram is going to become may not be that guy by the time this list ends, right? Booker's value is complicated because similar to Kyrie, he checks a lot of boxes of a, a lot of the boxes you would have with an empty stats guy, but there's also some intangible value that's harder to gauge. Okay. So for so, those keeping a uh, score at home, Andrew's not admitted defeat on DeMar or Booker no. yet. Hopefully he'll come around by the end of the I'm episode. I'm right about both of those guys. You had Booker behind some shitty players last year. I mean, you currently have Ingram behind Nick Batum, who is permanently three of nine from the floor for seven points. So please, Rob, explain how we got here. I, I trust that you were probably on the right side of this one, but hit me. I think I might be even more pessimistic about Ingram than Ben is, actually. Um, Seriously? <laughs> I may be the bad mouthpiece for this argument. I mean, I say this in all, on all earnestness. Like, I've seen plenty of him on film. I've seen his numbers obviously had a pretty productive season. What is the evidence to date that Ingram is a net positive basketball player? Because I don't think we have a lot of it. I think that's tough because the Lakers in general have been dysfunctional for every month he's been in L.A., and I, I think numbers alone, like he's 16, 5, 4 assists, 47% shooting, 39% from three. And he's the same age as Jason Tatum, basically. He's six months older. I, like, even assuming moderate progress, he's, he's going to be really, really good next to LeBron. And I just don't understand. So you're basically docking him because he's had bad teammates. Is that, is that it? No, I mean, if anything, I think the fact that he's had bad teammates make his numbers look a little better than they are. Like, I don't think Brandon Ingram is a four assists per game kind of player. I think he's in that provisional, our point guard is injured, so somebody has to handle the ball kind of mode. You know, he's he's the Jeff Green point forward of Ooh, players in that regard. Wow. Um, that was that was not meant to be as uh, as that negative hurts. as it that probably really. Comes out. No, I think Rob, we we should have probably had a chat before this podcast. <laughs> Andrew picked Brandon Ingram over uh, Ben Simmons two years ago, and he's just held on for dear life, and he's running this one into the ground as far as he can possibly run it. 
Um, hey, Andrew, here's a Brandon Ingram trivia question for you. Do you remember Andre Ingram, like that super G League guy uh, who came on? I'm still waiting for that to be a Disney movie in like 10 years. Okay, but so sure. Andre Ingram played two games for the Lakers. His career high for three-pointers was four because he made four threes in one of those two games. Do you know Brandon Ingram's career high for three-pointers in the NBA? He's been two seasons. You think he's going to be a top 50 player. You're ready to sacrifice your whole reputation on his his rising. Uh... Why is it so hard for both of you to wrap your mind around the concept that a young guy can improve, Okay. The shooter that he is at like 19 and a half years yeah. old is not what he's going to be at 22 or at 21, which he'll be this year. Okay. I Like, I don't understand. No, we understand. I'm just saying right now, you know, he's been in the NBA for two years. His career high is four three-pointers. So, you know, if he's going to be this big-time, huge wing who's going to be like, you know, fantastic, let's make sure he's the, the best Ingram on the Lakers <laughs> roster before we get too far uh, <laughs> when it comes to shooting. No, look, we like Ingram, but you're just – early on him and you and what I was trying to say with the Booker thing it wasn't to harp specifically on Booker this is just one of your blind spots you like the young guys and we have a lot of readers who like the young guys who think the young guys are going to be their 24 or 25 year old selves when they're 21 or 22 and it just usually does not work that way and Ingram also by the way missed a ton of time last year with injuries you're going to bang on Lonzo you have to bang on Ingram for his injury issues too this is the injury thing is your cop out for every no, bad it's not. ranking on this list no it's but not fair enough fair enough if you're going to if you're going to use it to attack Lonzo you have to apply the same standard to Ingram because that's what we do with all these guys we look at games played and health and availability and, and if Ingram had had the same numbers and he had played 75 or 80 games last season, he would have been higher in the rankings. That's how it works. But the list is about value for this season, not last but season. But he's we know his body issues, right? God he's skinny. Man. Is he going to be able to hold up? That's okay. the question. It's okay. a legitimate question. Well, Ex- I, I also want to say, too, calling a, you know, a 21-year-old the 75th best player in the NBA is not taking anything away from him. That's not an insult. Like. Yeah, you're taking be, it that way because you were wrong about Simmons versus Ingram two years ago, and you're you're really you know emotionally invested. You know what? I was right about Ben Simmons <laughs> in a lot of ways. We don't have to get into it. Rob, explain Batum then, okay? Because Batum, look, he, I'm sure he's a good guy, but he's really mailed it in hard the last two years. Either that, or he has just his game and athleticism has kind of fallen off hard uh, over that same time frame. I don't understand how he's better than a guy like Wiggins and a guy like Ingram. Well, I think both the things you said are right. I think he ha- he is a guy who mails it in on occasion. He's not like a completely committed defender or anything like that. Uh, and he has declined athletically over the course of his career. I think we've seen that pretty clearly. I think what Batum gives you is a different kind of functionality for a wing, where in terms of guys who are actually generating meaningful, positive plays for their teammates, he's right up there near the top of the wings in terms of not only assists, but what he's doing with those assists, the kinds of shots he's creating for guys. He's a weird fit for a lot of reasons. I mean, he's, he's not as good of a shooter as you would like him to be. Yeah. Um, you would like him to be a little more dynamic, maybe get to the rim a little bit more, be a little bit better of a defender. But he kind of does everything at enough of a, an average or slightly above average level that he gets into this conversation on those grounds where Ingram, I think, has some very pronounced strengths, and especially on a team that doesn't have a lot going for it offensively, you can really see some of those things pop. I think he's a really impressive young player. But Batum's the kind of guy who, in a playoff setting, just knows what to do a little more than a guy like Ingram would. And that's one of those things that I think is really tough with rookies and second-year and even third-year young players who have been on bad teams is when we haven't seen you in a playoff setting yet, 
it's really hard to know exactly how pronounced your weaknesses and your limitations are going to be. And with Batum, we've kind of seen him canvassed in that way. We know kind of what he will and won't give you. With Ingram, I mean, what if what if the sky falls for Ingram in the playoffs in the way that it did for a young DeMar DeRozan or, a, you know, these other kind of young go-to scorers who rely I mean, on mid-range and post games? Like, if Ingram isn't scoring for you, what is he doing? I love you guys, okay, but the Ingram thing is going to look really bad. Who's a, be- who's a better playmaker, Batum or Ingram? In Ingram? The idea, Batum's no. fine. The idea of Batum, Batum is a better. Just the, say Batum. You don't have to I- fight everything. If it's a simple answer, just say the simple answer. The idea of Batum is much better and more valuable yeah. than what he really the has I- been. The idea the last of Batum would have been a top 40 player, right? A top 50 player. Right. And then where is he? He's in the he 70s. He should be in the fucking 90s. No. <laughs> it's fine. No, but it- he's where he should be. Uh, the DeMarcus Cousins ranking, real quick i just feel like everybody it's not just you guys i think that we are all over correcting for what he's going to be next year i think the achilles injury is going to be pretty serious but it's not going to turn him into fat sixers elton brand and right now you guys have him at 68 which is five spots lower than Jonas valanciunas so let's say that's great if you're a gm for one season you're going to try to go as far as you possibly can next year cousins is on pace probably to miss half the games. Would you rather have Jonas Valanciunas or DeMarcus Cousins? That is fair. I'd rather have Dwight Howard, who's behind Boogie. Um, okay. And so I, it's if, not... If Dwight didn't have the, the personality concerns, we would have had Dwight above Cousins. We looked at that one for quite a while. Yeah. I mean, there is a situation where like Washington gets so sick of Dwight you know, sure. they, they just like pun him. And I'm, I'm honestly not giving you shit about having him at 68 because because of the injury, it's hard to peg his value uh, relative to everybody else. I just think that we've all kind of gone too far on the like Boogie is not going to be the same player. We have to remember it's the most serious injury in basketball. Like Boogie is still going to be really, really good for Golden State when he's back. I think he has a chance to be a very effective guy in a narrow role. I think that we have just talked about the boogie thing to death during the offseason that you might be sick of it, but I do think that you're going to see the effects of that injury on his season, not only in how many minutes he plays, but exactly how they use him. I don't think it's going too far. We might have just said it so many times that it's annoying at this point, but... Okay, Aaron Gordon. Well, I I think, too, with boogie, you're in a case where for, we talked about him in a very specific way with the Warriors, and I think he's going to be periodically really, really great for them, and he'll have off nights, of course. I mean, it just kind of goes with recovery. But if you're, as, as we were talking about, the Wizards or the Blazers, or if you're one of these teams that needs a functional starting center for 70-plus games, and he can only play period in 45 of those games and may not be that great for the first 10 or 15 when he comes back, that may be the whole game for you. That may be missing right. the playoffs. That may be losing the seeds you need. So the Warriors can afford, for a variety of reasons, to have Boogie and to rely on him and or to choose to not rely on him. They could cut him and everything would be fine if they wanted to. But in a vacuum test, I, I don't see how a lot of teams could really for lean sure. on that spot and feel comfortable with him being like a top 50 guy, for example. Yeah, the Warriors can make this work because life is unfair. But uh, I, he is, he's going to be really, like his job is going to be so much easier in Golden State. And he's going to be a real pain in the ass for the whole league. Let's just hope he can walk first. Um, start there. That's fair. That's fair. I'm just saying. The, uh, the next guy on this list that a lot of people were pissed off about, Aaron Gordon at 66. What do you guys think? Because Wait, I are can they mad go at you too high or too low? Too low. What oh, do you really? think? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I was surprised. I thought maybe the people would give him the Wiggins thing where he, it's like, okay, he's young, but he's not, you know. Here's my issue. The, the vacuum test, 
most of the time when you guys bring that up, it's to kind of ding a player who isn't as good as he looks in a good situation. I think Aaron Gordon would have like Robert Covington type value on a team that didn't have its head its head up its ass permanently, which is what the Magic have been, what the they are probably going to be this year. But I think Gordon has a lot of talent, and he's just been miscast as the like lead superstar uh, in Orlando. What do you think, Rob? No, I agree. I think the the magic in a lot of ways, at least in terms of our exercise, are the bizarro world Celtics, where they they just drain value from <laughs> a lot of really where functional players. Goes to die, absolutely. It really is uncanny, and a lot of it has to do with just kind of how the pieces all fit together. And I think you're right in that we really haven't seen him, you know, featured in the kind of role that's best for him. But he's also a guy who, you know his game is really kind of on the precipice of growing and we need to see a little bit more definitive proof of that. Like, yes, he's trying to shoot more threes and he's really spacing out, but last season he basically had a couple, maybe one to two good shooting months yeah. and then leveled out as a 34% three point shooter, which like for a big is fine. But when you're talking about him as like a dynamic kind of focal piece, which is when you're getting higher on this list, I think that's really kind of the realm you're looking at it may just be a little bit too soon for him. And I think, I think we're both still really optimistic about the player he can be, but it's just hard. Again, if you've been in, if you've been featured in such a prominent role and you have so much authorship over what your team does on a nightly basis, and that team is very bad, I think it's hard to get much higher on the ranking than he is right now. I kind of like where you were going with the Covington comparison. I just think with Covington, he's going to, even if Gordon was on a really good team, Covington's going to be capable of guarding more different positions on the court than Gordon at an elite level. And Covington at this point is a better three-point shooter than Gordon, right? So if that was Gordon's role, Covington's probably doing it better on, on both sides. Well, Covington's a three and Gordon's a four on a good team. Uh, Covington can guard all five positions in small ball. I mean, he he really can go one through five if you want to go small against them. No, I'm just saying they and, do different things because yeah. they play very different positions. I know, but I think ultimately, like, Gordon's best value is going to be as kind of a three and D guy. Like, yeah. he's not dynamic enough as a ball handler. I mean, he he's really not going to be breaking people down off the dribble. Like, he is going to be the space guy so, yeah. and then use, use his athleticism maybe as a lob or as a cutting type guy too, but... You can't just throw him the ball and say, go get us a buck. It's not going to work very well. Yeah, I don't know. I think his best value might be in a kind of Draymond-ish role uh, for various yeah. lineups on a well, good that, team. That's fine, too. So how many positions can he guard, though? He can't be a five because he's not a good enough for him. No, I know. He can't play that And, and he's not going to be able time. to guard. If he's going against ones and twos, like, he's going to get some happy feet, right? So he can really guard two positions and maybe some small ball fives. I, I would say he can guard about two and a half positions, whereas Covington, you know, can guard four and a half. Uh, Draymond, you know, can guard five and a half. <laughs> Just- yeah, that's true. No, I, and look, we're deep in the weeds here with Aaron Gordon. But no, see, these are the good questions, Andrew. You, you come out the bat with all this Ingram nonsense, all these other guys. These are the kinds of questions people well, want to hear. Ingram's the thing you're going to look back on in six months and be like, man. You told us that about. Swing and a miss. You said that, that about Booker, though. Uh, and we were right. You know, because he got hurt. Sure, whatever. No, but he was he was not good when he was on the court either. Okay, uh, agree to disagree on that one. The Aaron Gordon thing, I I would be optimistic if he hadn't resigned. Mostly thinking this through, like I just wish he w- had ended up in Indiana this summer. And it's a bummer that he's gonna be back in Orlando, kind of like seeing things through with Mo Bamba. They still don't have a point guard, right? Uh, not not, not one guard, that you would want. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe Aaron Gordon it, plays point guard. That's not, the solution. Not as desperate as Phoenix's situation, but um, it's not great. We will keep rolling with the list, but first, a break, Ben. 
to talk about our old friends, our favorite oh, sponsors my goodness. of all time, Mac Weldon. Michael Jordan just sent a fax because we are back <laughs> <laughs> with the Mac, Andrew. Mac Weldon clothing is back in the regular rotation. And longtime Open Floor Glow members exactly. know how much we love Mac Weldon. We love them for their loyalty. They supported us when nobody else believed in us, Andrew. But let's be honest. We like them for the microbial, antimicrobial fabrics. You know, you're not going to smell. You're not going to sweat. It's unbelievable underwear, sweaters. Remember the merino? They, they get these special kind of sheep to make your sweaters. They get the merino wool. They've got it all, Andrew. It's high-quality gear that you can get right off of their website, sent directly to you very quickly. It's got everything you could need. And it's classy. You know, you can wear the sweatpants to a nice, you know, dinner or just, you know, around watching a college football game in your house. Very versatile clothing. I love it. Yeah. To be clear, Mack Weldon, I believe, were our first sponsors or the first sponsors we cared about because we actually tried their gear. We did. And... <laughs> Both of us really, really like their sweatpants. They also have underwear. They have some stylish shirts and sweatshirts. You know what happened to me when I was trying their gear? I'd be walking around LA and, and people would sort of like make eye contact with me. And I was like, oh, like, am I a celebrity now? Do like people recognize me? Andrew, they weren't recognizing me. They were recognizing my excellent taste in clothing. They'd be like, wow, look at that guy in that beautiful sweater. And it's no BS. <laughs> like there, you honestly look... <laughs> Very presentable, and you're very comfortable, and that's a deal uh, that I am rarely able to pull off. Usually, you have to choose, but no, Mac this Weldon is, the, is legitimately it, stylish. It's My the, wife likes it. I was going to say, this is the wife-pleasing clothing exactly. line, right? It's like, <laughs> Andrew, you're not wearing basketball shorts today. You've got your Mac Weldon head-to-toe. We're ready to go out with a nice night with our family, friends, whatever it might be. Um, I could see it. And one thing that they like to point out it's not just about how you look, it's how it performs, right? That's right. No, you can't have the smell, Andrew. You can't be walking around looking good, smelling bad. And the antimicrobial techniques that they use, you know, I can barely spell it. <laughs> I can barely pronounce it. But let me tell you, you do smell good, look good, feel good with Mack Wilton clothing. Yes, we're pushing it hard, but go check it out. Uh, they want you to be comfortable. And if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they will still refund mm. you. Don't you love the guarantees? Go to MacWeldon.com. You can use the promo code FLOOR, make us look good, and, uh, and get some discounts. That's MacWeldon.com. Enter the promo code FLOOR. Andrew, you didn't even tell him what the promo code gives him. I said him. Oh, what did he give him? <laughs> 20% off the first order. Don't argue with me about great savings, Andrew. It's real. Yeah, go get 20% off now. Get right for the fall and winter. It's going to be a good time to be bundled. And uh, with that, let's we, jump back into the top one. We said it twice. Let's say it a third time. MacWeldon.com. Promo code FLOOR. Okay, can I move on, though, to my favorite ranking on this list? Please, for once, did we get one right? Derek Favors oh, at no. 51. He tried to set us up. You guys are so full of shit here <laughs> that I'm not even mad. I'm honest to God impressed by both of you having the gall. You've got Favors ahead of Porzingis. You've got Favors oh, ahead I, of Jamal Murray. Stop, Sorry, look, intellectual honesty here. Is Porzingis going to play the whole season, or does he have an ACL tear? Okay, fine. Come on. The, again, with the injury cop-outs. You've got him above Joe Ingles. You've Is it a cop-out if he's not playing half the season? Come on, Andrew. Be real. 
be serious. Does it's, Derek Favors get more than 20 minutes a game on any contender yeah. in the league? He starts for a lot of teams. Yeah. At, at the five. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Interesting. Make the case, Rob. I mean, I think, well, for, I mean, for once, he played 28 minutes for the Jazz last year at, you know, in a rotation that really doesn't have a great place for him. So right. I think for, for starters, we'll, we'll go there. And He's then, so good that you can play a, him lots of no, minutes no, no. on a great team out of position, and he'll still give you value. Accidentally burying yourselves on this one. The Jazz are clearly better with favors on the bench and going small around Gobert. Nah. That's, like, documented. Nah. You can't just it's say not. Nah. I mean, the, well, they were really effective with both those guys on the floor, both in the regular season and the playoffs. And I think in particular, Favors was a huge difference maker against the Thunder, where he, he's the piece that punishes Melo. He's the piece that if you run a small ball four out there, he's the guy who's going to do short rolls, who's going to post him up, who's going to get offensive rebounds over those guys. And so it's like there's this very narrow stretch of players where it's guys who are like quick enough to move their feet on the perimeter, to keep up with some smaller guys but can also overpower and score over those guys inside and rebound over those guys inside. And Favors fits that pretty perfectly in a way that he can play five, obviously. I think he can play five for the vast majority of the teams in the league. Uh, But he can also fill that four spot where, again, he and Gobert were a big net positive together on the floor. And so it doesn't fit kind of the conception of the modern NBA, but he can cover ground. He can rebound well. He can score inside and play off of a lot of different kinds of players. I think people are really sleeping on favors because he's not, you know, the best big on his team. He's not even the best defender on his own team or the best scorer on his own team. But he fits this middle ground really well in terms of who are the players who give their teams flexibility in a playoff series to do things differently, to adapt, to change over the course of a series. And he's the kind of guy who does that. Okay, so I really respect you guys. You're staying true to your core beliefs, your bedrock principles on this one. But the problem with Favors, he lacks a lot of the explosion he had a few years ago. And, it, like, you can't minimize the entire league has made his skill set less valuable. You kind of threw that in there. Well, like, we used to have him in the 30s, and we, we've appropriately I know. Him. You were overrating him three years ago, so now you're kind of bringing him down. I I love it, okay? I really do, because this is, like, your your true beliefs shining through. But you do, ha- on some level, What's his real to- weakness? What's his weakness? His weakness is you can't really get much out of him. Like, I don't know what you're getting as a, a, with him as a starter. He just explained to you that they won a playoff series with him as a starter against a pretty darn good team, a team you thought was going to go to the Western Conference Finals in Oklahoma oh City. Oh, my God. That's a real pot shot going back to <laughs> well, I'm September. Saying, like, <laughs> you you want, look, you want us to be accountable for our rankings of favors from three years ago. You're not taking any accountability for Booker or any of these other guys you're saying. Favors is really, really good. And he's in, you know, Rob's got a good point. I mean, he's in a, a tricky spot to display all of his value. Um, I think that if Utah just didn't have him, if they were forced to go small all of the time, and that was just their new way, like, hey, we're playing, you know, four out around Gobert, they if, would not be nearly as clear of an no. identity type team. And their defensive rating would take a hit Bullshit. over the course of a season. Bullshit. If Utah didn't have him, they would have signed Ed Davis this summer. And Ed Davis could have done almost exactly what Derek Favors did for them. Ed Davis is very good. Cool. He could not do everything that Derek Favors did. You're no, he Strong could have given them 85% of what Favors did. That's yeah. a replacement level big. We'll just leave it there. <laughs> I think that was going to speak for itself. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, yes, I guess it does. I don't think that Derek Favors is like uh, an elite big man. I guess um, we're not saying he is. He's in this. Well, he's in the sixties. No. no, but I, like Dario Saric helps way more teams than Derek Favors would, and he's five spots behind Favors here. 
Okay. Joe Ingles, the well, same I've... deal. Joe Ingles is probably too low in general at 56, but Joe Ingles helps the Jazz a lot more than Favors does. Again, you're you're going by a team by re- team ranking, right? So who helped maybe more last year could be your argument. This is in a vacuum, right? So if you don't have any other pieces, who is capable of playing the biggest possible role? So Ingles, I think, is in a very, very clean role in Utah because he doesn't have to be the, the number one playmaker, but he can kind of pick and choose his spots, and he's surrounded by lots of talented players. If Ingles was on a worse roster, and I think Utah actually has you know one of the best collections of, of talent top to bottom in the league, Ingles' flaws would be exposed, where I think you could be able to scale what Favors does in a pretty significant way in a larger role. Um, and in terms of Saric, we really liked Saric. I mean, I and I that's why after we did the top 100, I came on here and I was like almost apologetic about how little you and I reference Saric over the that course of the weird. season. That was a random little throw-in from you. Well, it's because like when we went through it, we're like, this guy is really, really good. We should give him some love for you know in advance of next year, given how young he is and what you know, great all-around achievement, two-way play, and all of that stuff. Um, but he's done it for one season. We want to see it more. Favors does have a track record. He's had some injuries in the past, he's but he's old a solid as player. Hell, man. Do, you, okay. Actually, let's do this he's right 27. now on the spot. How old do you how think many, he is? Well, he came into the league at what 18, 19? So how old is he? Uh, probably 27, according to Rob. How, oh, okay. how many what would you have guessed? 34? Because that's how <laughs> slow he looks. <laughs> Look, and you're He's not, not gonna, that slow. I'm not anti Derek Favors. You clearly are. No, you guys are turning me into a Favors hater because you have him ranked 30 spots too high. All right. It's fine. I love you both for this. I, I genuinely, that you like, Gasol is too hurt and Millsap was hurt too, so you can't screw with people by throwing them in the Look, top 20 this he's year. So- he's 16 and 9 per 36 and he's one of the better shot blockers and rim protectors in the 16 league. 16 and 9. There you go. Per okay. 36. That's solid. And if, right. you, if you're bringing plus defense at the center position, that is a very valuable player. Plus no ego, willing to sacrifice, <laughs> do everything for the team. He could play for my guys you're any so day. so full of shit. Uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, how did that process play out for you guys? I mean, Tatum in particular is a guy who I think there's a real risk of just going overboard on how good he looked in the playoffs, and Brown too, for that matter. Uh, So we really tried to kind of regulate our enthusiasm and our excitement over them just because you could could take that too far. You could take their role in a modern NBA and try to throw them into a tier they don't necessarily belong into yet. We thought this was pretty fair given that Brown, again, is kind of, you know, back-to-back with Robert Covington as a guy who really is kind of in more of a 3-and-D set at this point, and Tatum really getting into that star class of player where we want to see you do a little more over the course of, you know, a full season, a full campaign with a lot of responsibility, but it certainly bodes well for him that he can fit into a a lot of different types of usage roles, where I think we'll see that in Boston next season, where if you want to scale him back, he's going to be super efficient, he's going to play a really controlled game, and if you want to scale him up, he can dominate a playoff game if you need him to, and so... That flexibility is pretty huge and something that I think is honestly pretty unique among that range of players. He's a guy who it would not shock me to see him in the top 30 next year. Yeah, I mean, Tatum, and I I sound like Captain Celtics here, he might even be low at 39. Jalen Brown, uh, to me, I would move him down 10 or 15 spots because I don't think he would be the same player outside of Boston. And you could say the same for Terry Rozier, who is great in the Celtics, but uh, the Celtics make a lot of point guards look great in that offense. Yeah, but he's a starting, a he's a starting quality point guard, though. Who, Terry? Yeah. Uh, I mean, when we're looking at— Does he at, start for a playoff team? 
probably not a playoff team, but okay. I mean, when you get down to like the 80s, wherever we have them, you know, like that's you're the 15th, 16th, you know, you're the 20th best point guard around the, and he's probably in that range, 20 to 25 in terms of starting point yeah. guards. You know what? Like not- a lesser starting point guard or a really good bench guard. And if you're in that zone and you also play good defense, guess what? You're a top 100 player. Yeah, yeah that's fair. A lo- an- another thing that a lot of people were very upset about was, uh, Terry Rozier, thirty spots behind Eric Bledsoe. Well, that's after. I mean, that's that's really cheap in a dumb way to look at it, right? I mean, it we, we've made this point like many times. You don't only look at a head-to-head matchup for one game or even one series and use that as the total determining factor. Everybody was way down on Bledsoe after the playoffs, rightfully so. He did not have a good playoffs, but he had a really nice season all around, and that's. That's the kind of thing that people make Instagram memes about, you know, <laughs> where it's like you're just appealing to the very lowest common denominator. Can I be honest with you, though? Bledsoe was so bad in that playoff series that for that reason alone, it's not about Terry Rozier, but about Bledsoe and what he's bringing to the table at this point in his career. For that reason alone, I'd, bring, I'd move him down 10 or 15 Well, spots. so by that logic, though, wouldn't DeMauro have to be 30 spots low after last year or after this year, too? I mean, you've been constantly That's caping not, for DeMar, DeMar, DeMar. I'm not ever caping for DeMar. <laughs> I'm just not hating on him as aggressively and relentlessly as you are, okay? Look, I think that guys have bad series. Robert Covington, great player. Had a really tough playoffs. Yeah, you have to take into account that playoff performance, but you don't use it to be a completely determinative. Now, if those guys fall apart in the playoffs for three or four straight years, like some of our other favorite guys that we like to mention, then at that point you can just say, "Look, you're not a playoff player. Sure. It's not ever going to work. We have to dock you considerably." Uh, our feeling w- was that Bledsoe got too much hate for his postseason performance and not quite enough credit for his regular season performance. Uh, that's completely fair i to me i think Bledsoe is a better defender by reputation than he is in real life and he's not particularly efficient as a lead guard but it is what it is yeah, um, and he's not, he, that's a nice thing i mean he's not a lead guard i think he's actually found a pretty go- good role in milwaukee where it's like look you know you're third okay you know, basically you know and i think that's the right fit for him um and if you ask him to do more i think your team would not be very good so did you give any consideration rob you can answer this any consideration to Tatum in the high 30s? Like, he's he's five spots below Donovan Mitchell. I think Tatum, you can plug him in to almost any playoff team in the league, and he would help them a lot. What do you think? I mean, we definitely give him consideration. All these guys in the 30s in particular, I think there was a pretty clear tier for us, maybe around the 29 to 30 range, and everything below that was pretty fluid. Uh, so he was definitely in that mix at one point or another. Uh, but Mitchell, I think... I think Mitchell's pretty unique in terms of guys who are will- who are willing and have the game to accept the kind of high usage responsibility that he did, and he's still kind of learning to read the game at such a at such a uh, increased level. Where over the course of that series against the Rockets, for example, we saw a lot of flaws in terms of if Donovan is your primary ball handler, really good teams are going to be able to throw things at him he can't deal with, and the fact that he's really only been in that kind of role for I don't know 40 games. Maybe yeah. if you include the playoffs, maybe 50 games. And the idea that over the course of another full year with that kind of responsibility, what is he going to be able to keep? What is he going to be capable of? If you give him a summer to prepare for that kind of responsibility, what is he going to be capable of? We like that upside a little bit more with Donovan, where we don't see him taking like some huge leap in production or anything. 
but he's going to be at- attacking the game in a much smarter way if you give him a little more runway to prepare for it. That's yeah. interesting because that's what I would say separates Tatum and, and a guy like Jalen Brown is I think Tatum can read the game really well and will find a way to score and be effective offensively kind of wherever you put him. And I don't know if that's as true with Jalen Brown, just to circle back there. That is one of the things that's really impressive about Donovan Mitchell, though, is like I, I still go back to there was one game in that Thunder series where he was struggling for most of the first half, and then he kind of like figured out how to to make it work against that OKC defense and just picked them apart for the second half. And I think it was in OKC, and he just took the game over, and that was out of this world for a rookie. Uh, I just I think that Tatum has a lot of that same DNA. I would say just a couple of stray thoughts on these guys. First, they were four spots apart, not five. And we heard some from people like, why are they so far apart? Guys, remember, if you're four or five spots apart on the list, that means you're like one per guy on the position chart, right? So well, if they played the same position, you know, that one of them would be like sure. the seventh best and the other would be eight. That's not very far. So that's just in general kind of context there. Second, we always talk about the, the Celtics guys and how they get a boost from their situation. I actually think that Mitchell was basically placed in the best possible situation for him for last year coming into last season. I and I think that they're going to wind up continuing to build this whole thing basically around him. And so I think if you put them both into a vacuum, uh, it would be fascinating to see like wh- what do they look like? Is Mitchell viewed as like the super inefficient lead guy who just can't do it? He's not good enough on defense. Like, is he starting to get some of the Booker critiques? Yeah. Versus with Tatum, like, is now he like a top ten guy because everyone's like, oh my god, he's nineteen, he's averaging twenty points. Like, this is completely insane. Uh, even if he's on a bad team, you know, you could just see because they're so young and they still need to continue to build up their NBA body of work. You could see a lot of volatility in both those guys. Ultimately, I think we went with Mitchell over Tatum for this season in part because of the age factor, because, you know, he has a couple of years on Tatum, the odds that he's going to be able to, you know, kind of take a step forward and, and continue to be like a big time impact player um, uh, is higher. Uh, it's just a safer bet than a guy like Tatum. I think long term, though. I have moved into the camp that says Tatum probably has a higher ceiling than Mitchell long term. Yeah, well, I agree with that, and I hate to—I hate that I'm turning into Mr. Celtics Homer, but I do think it's a really good point on Mitchell being in the best possible situation for him. And I, what I wonder about looking at this entire Jazz season as people are like, "Yeah, oh, this team could go win 55 games." Like, I—I I wonder how sustainable last season's success was they had two months where they were basically like the best team in the league yeah. and well, I mean, the I shooting think, from donovan mitchell is going to be huge but tatum is, is a proven like low 40s shooter uh, wouldn't you say though i mean three. if you if you've got guys if you I mean if you're looking at a big three of gobert mitchell and favors i mean that's reliability you know right down i mean what, what more could you want i mean you have three guys you know potentially top 20 players uh, next season. I mean, just perfect, you know, core <laughs> unit. I mean, I take those big three against anyone's big three besides maybe Golden State, right? Full disclosure, Rob, since you're on the phone, I just spaced out and halfway he missed through, it. I heard favors. <laughs> it's like, you gotta be kidding me. I, I, I'm proud of you. I really am. Um, let's, let's move on. Too much Celtics love. Blake Griffin versus Kevin Love. And to me, I think Blake is healthier or not healthier. I think Blake is better, and they both have the same health questions. What do you think, Rob? I mean, I think if either one of your, those guys is like your top scorer, you're probably not That's in true. a great place. I think, <laughs> yeah, 
Blake, just from a health and dependability standpoint, loves just because I don't think he's quite that guy anymore. And so if you're talking about guys who aren't going to be your number one guy, what do you want in your secondary player? And Love rated as one of the most efficient spot-up shooters in the league last season. I think he gets a lot of flack because his, his, his points come a little more quietly and it's a little more sporadic. And some of that's just by nature playing with LeBron. And you could credit LeBron for the, the, you know, the shots and the looks he gets, to be sure. But I think he is that good a shooter. I think he has dimensions of his game that weren't really accessible to Cleveland for a variety of reasons. You know, I don't think he's going to be Minnesota Kevin Love anymore, but he could be more of a playmaker. He could still do a lot of the things that made him a good player there in a way that with Griffin, I think he's kind of caught in that space where because of the range of his game, you kind of want him to be more of a small ball five or play a different kind of role because he's not going to be much of a rim protector or anything like that. And Love isn't either. But at least with Love, you're banking on he's going to be a great shooter no matter what. The question is, what else are you going to get with this game? With Griffin, it's, okay, he's going to be a good playmaker no matter what, but is he going to play 55 games next season? Yeah, so here's the thing. Uh, you raise, oh, they both have health questions. They do both have health questions, but this is a matter of degree, right? And I think this is the type of thing when you're really pouring through like their availability numbers to determine, you know, who has the greatest ability, right? There's a big difference. Kevin Love has, uh, you know, basically three of his last five seasons, he's missed seven games or fewer, right? So he did well, miss the last, two the last two times he's missed seasons. Yeah, there's no question. But you go for Blake. He hasn't played. He's missed 15 plus games four straight well, seasons, and they're and they're accumulative injuries, right? Like they're all legs. So the likelihood that he's going to continue to miss significant time as it goes forward is greater. And then I think also just building on what Rob said, it's a matter of fit. Like if you have a knockdown, high volume three point shooter with Kevin Love who can also you know move the ball and you know get by that way, it's just easier to build lineups around him where he's now had you know experience playing defense at both the four and the five. Uh, you know, including in the playoffs with Blake, it's never worked for him, you know, defending the five, uh, the three point shot, you know, as much as he wants to make it a thing, it's not a thing. He takes a lot of really inefficient, tough twos. He doesn't get to the free throw line like he used to. Uh, he is a really good playmaker. You know, he's still got that going for him, but it's just hard to construct really quality lineups around Blake and, and love is just much more transferable. You know, it really bums me out that Blake landed in Detroit stuck next to Andre Drummond basically playing in a crappier version of the Clippers because I think his skills would be a lot more interesting and potentially more transferable than we realize we just have seen him in these awkward fits for 10 years now and it's I guess my point Pretty is like, frustrating. he played with Chris and it was a good fit, but it, I think it could have actually been a better fit. You know, like they were never like that per, uh, well, but perfect he natural duo. with DeAndre duo. the whole time. The spacing yeah. was always awkward with those guys. Yeah, I, but it, part of it's his problem, right? Yeah, that that is yeah. fair. If he shot threes and was a different player, it would be easier. Um, or even if he just still had, I mean, he doesn't even, let's say he can't shoot threes. Let's just say he can still attack the rim and just go after guys with that quick speed power move that he used to use from the block to get to the rim and get to the free throw line. If you could still do that every single night, we would care less about the spacing issues. But he just chooses not to. He paces himself. He takes you know lots of the, the pick and pop 18 footers. And it's like, that's not a very valuable skill. And... You know, teams are going to give it to him. And when he plays, like, his teams were 500 last year. I think he has no choice to play that way. No choice yeah. but to play that way next to Andre Drummond. Because that it, it's Drummond's limitations that we're talking about when we talk about the way Blake plays, no, which is fine. I... I, I... I don't really agree just because the Clippers made such a big point about how they were trying to like keep the miles off Blake in those last couple of years. And it was like, 
they so force fed him on those kinds of shots to like make that sort of his new evolution right and his free throw numbers and his finishing numbers came down so dramatically that I didn't think you could blame that on anyone else. I think it was just an acknowledgement of like, look, Blake's not the same guy. Or if he does have that ceiling that he can get to in the playoffs, we don't want him playing that way for 82 games because he can't stay healthy like a freak like Westbrook, right? Who can just play, you know, all energy, you know, all breaks, no gas and stay healthy for most of the seasons. Blake's never been able to do that. The one point on Blake's health is I, I looked it up the the only time he's missed like a lot of time was when he punched that equipment manager. Usually he's playing around 60 games, 55 to 60 games and they only it, and that surprised me because he, I think of he's him missed, as but for like compared to Love he's missed significantly more time over the last 4 years. Okay. I I would put them about even and I'd say headed into this season Kevin Love is also someone I'm worried about health-wise. Um but I I do like it. I like like the idea of the Kevin Love that you're describing, where we get to see a little bit more offense from him, he gets to spread his wings without LeBron, and he turns into an awesome offensive player again, is great. I'm just not sure that that is still there. Well, the other thing with Blake too is what what is the ideal center next to him? Who is the guy who can face mm, the floor Derek and be the defender that Blake isn't? I mean, other than obviously Derek Favors, <laughs> who uh, that, that wouldn't be the, the worst other... thing. I mean, I'd like Blake more if you play with. It Favors. would be better, yeah. Um... Who, who are the other elite centers who could really compliment Blake Griffin? I think the answer is like twenty three year old Serge Ibaka, right? It's yeah, like the guy who can handle is... all the shot blocking and then can also like step out and shoot a corner three and just like get out of the way of him. But I think. How many of like you need a unicorn to pull Blake's magic from? It, I right? think I have a soft spot for Blake, and I also am lower on Kevin Love than you guys. Uh, which I, I would say this. I also have a soft spot for Blake, but this was a very sobering process, right? Like you go through <laughs> everything about the Blake Pistons era is sobering. No, but like no, like going through the ranking process was very sobering because it's sort of like how many years have I just thought that Blake's finally going to have put the injury stuff behind him? How many years can we ignore the the changing nature of his offensive game? And then how many years can we give him a pass for really mediocre defensive performance? Like, I remember back when he was like 22, 23 and like, you know, winning the dunk contest and like putting up crazy 26 and 12 type numbers, right? And it was always like, oh, the defense will come at some point. Like, yeah. you know, he, he's, he's not the world's most focused defensive player, but he'll grow into it because he's still in his early 20s. We're still waiting. <laughs> and on that note, we are going to cut it off because I refuse to release a two-hour and 20-minute podcast. Okay, fair enough, Andrew. We have the benefit of recording this little outro after we finish the second half of this pod. And let's just say it goes on for a while, yes. right? So we had to cut it right here, and we said, okay, we're going to save the next part for next week. So check your open floor feeds next week for part two of our Top 100 pod. And the good news is, Andrew, even though just a few minutes ago it sounded like I was going to rip your head off and you were probably going to punch me in the face at some point, I do promise the listeners that that testy first half of the top 100 is going to lead to a more comfortable, enjoyable conversation in part two. Yeah, uh, I I don't know exactly where we cut it off. Um, That's fine. We don't need to say it specifically. There were definitely various points where I was extremely sick of you. Um, I almost walked out, uh, but I didn't. We, we persevered through it. The relationship is still strong, Andrew. And, you know, look forward, uh, like I said, in your feeds next week for the second part of our Top 100 podcast. All right, man. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. 
Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.